We had to take the extension out today for him, bring it down a little bit. That was my secret. <laughs> yeah, I snuck in here yesterday and took the bass off so that I could see you and you could see me. And now that I'm up here and did that, I'm probably wishing I hadn't. Uh, I was in here last night and Gail was in here and she asked me, are you nervous about tomorrow? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, keep it short and we'll love you. So I'm going to set my timer. And I don't know how long or how short this will be, but here we go. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you could open them up to the book of Jeremiah. If you don't have a Bible, if you want to raise your hand and we'll get one to you. It's, I think it's important that you all have the words of the Lord right in front of you as, as we read through the scriptures so that you know this is not um, my words, but, but the Lord's words, and, and we'll go through it together. And while you're turning there to Jeremiah chapter 2, just a quick synopsis of Jeremiah. Um, for those of you that are maybe not as familiar with the book, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet during about the middle of the reign of, of King Josiah um, in, in Judah. This is right towards the end of the Old Testament when the people were getting ready to be exiled again because of their sin and, and their hearts and turning to idol worship. Jeremiah's main ministry was intended to call the people to repentance and back to the uh, first love that they had found in God. The people never turned, despite all of Jeremiah's preachings and teachings. And Jeremiah continued to preach towards this new covenant, 500 plus years later when, when the Messiah would come. And, and despite all of that, they, they never turned. King Josiah now, he uh, took the throne at age 8. There hadn't been a king that had been on that throne that was preaching God, preaching the love of God, walking in the ways of God since his great-grandpa, King Hezekiah, about 100 years previous to him. So when, during the reign of, of King Josiah, some people, his, his, uh, some of his hired hands found the book of the law, or what we would term the Bible. And during King Josiah's reign, he read that and called his people back to repentance and called his people back to the, the ways of the Lord, the ways that they had once walked in. And so they were kind of experienced a time of revival during this, during this time. And, and that's what sets the scene for Jeremiah. He comes in about 13 years into King Josiah's reign. And, and these people, they, they, they've just recently come back to this place of, of hearing the word of the Lord and, and are, are walking in those ways. The, the revival only lasted during the time of, of King Josiah's reign, so about 31 years is, is all. And Jeremiah comes onto the scene halfway through that. And so we'll pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? 
Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and went through all things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this morning, for the people that are gathered here, Father, to hear your name and and hear of your word and and your love for us, Father. Lord, honestly, just feeling completely inept and inadequate to stand here and, and speak of you and your love, expecting, Father, that you will show up and speak through me that this would not be my words, Father, but yours. I pray that your grace would be poured out upon this place and everybody sitting in it, that we would hear you and that you would move in our hearts today as, as we look to you as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I am the God who rescued you from Egypt. Don't you remember? I remember the time of your youth when you loved me. The time that you followed me when I led you out of Egypt. The time of our first betrothal, our first covenant. Don't you remember when I did that? When I devoured anyone who tried to come against you? When I led you through the deserts, the pits, drought, and the shadow of death? Remember? I did that for you my chosen people. What have you found in me that is so wrong? Why have you and your fathers left me? Idol worship. You're now going to feel the pain of your sin, the lack of trust in me, the decisions that you've made. Seriously. Look far and wide and you will find not a people that have turned away from their gods. Their gods that they have crafted by their own hands. They are far more committed to those gods than you are to me. A God who led you, loved you, cared for you. Even the heavens are astonished that you could walk away from me. Now, be afraid. For the sin that you have committed will work against you. This is not me. I did not cause this sin. This is your sin, and you're going to feel the effects of it. Two evils have you committed. You have forsaken me, your living water. A picture of John 4, Jesus at the well with the woman. Drink of me, and you will thirst no more. You have forsaken me. You have crafted your own cisterns. You have replaced me, your God, with your own desires. You followed the lust of your hearts your pursuits. As I was reading through that passage in Jeremiah chapter 2, those are just the things that, as I put it just plainly to myself to, to understand as I'm just reading commentary after commentary, it's just like 
God is telling them, all of these things I did for you. Don't you remember that first love that you found in me? Don't you remember all that I've done for you? You continue to turn away. Even the heathens stick more committed to their gods. You've crafted cisterns. What are cisterns? They're man-made water reservoirs, basically. They catch rain. They fill them with water. They drink of them, completely man-made. They dry up. You have to continue to tend to them. The end of the summer, the end of the, the water season, what's left in the bottom of a cistern but muck and mire. That's what we're chasing. We've left God for our own man-made cisterns, the living water. And when I think of my testimony, my testimony is all over that passage. It's all through it. It's in it. I grew up in the church. I tell people I was born a Christian. (laughs) I got on the school bus at the church parking lot and got off the school bus at the church parking lot. I was raised knowing a lot about Jesus, my need for a savior. I was taught when I was young the need to obey. I was taught that school dances and poker playing were wrong. Right? (laughs) I remember playing poker with my grandpa one time when I was eight, and he said, we can't go to church tomorrow and tell pastor about this. Well, why not? Well, because we don't do those things. So what does a seven-year-old goo goes right to church the next morning and tells pastor, I played poker last night. Really? He said, well, you'll have a lot for the offering plate then this morning, won't you? (laughs) I was raised to respect and revere the Lord, to follow in his ways. I was taught the Bible. I had a lot of intellectual knowledge about Christ. I remember in junior high and high school really coming into my own with the Lord and feeling him and seeing him move and praying out to him. I remember those times. I watched him move in our family. I remember our family one time brought in a a gentleman from the church who was facing some demons in his life, literally some demons, seeing some spiritual warfare in our house. Um, Things that if I talk about it, most would not understand or most would not believe. Coming to our house and the lights would dim. He'd leave our house, the, the lights would go back. I mean, just spiritual things. I knew Jesus existed. I knew what he had done. We experienced that. All through high school, walked in church, went to church when no one else in my family was going. Desired to be there, desired to hang out with the kids that were there. I love Jesus. But oh, how our hearts can be led astray, just like in this passage. We replace the God, big God, God of the universe for for idols, pursuing the lust of our own heart. I moved off to college after graduating from high school, went to Vanguard University, a Christian college in Southern California, had a minor in religion, went down there and it was a good time, I remember it, we had to go to chapel three times a week, or at least our name had to show up on a card that said we were in chapel three times a week. (laughs) It was a good time. But it was also a time where, for the first time in my life, I was experiencing freedom that I'd never experienced before. I was put in situations that I had never never walked in on my own. And though I was in, in church pursuing Christ, going to school pursuing Christ, 
I started to open up my heart to the other things of the world, experiencing things that I had not faced. Started tasting little bits of it that I had never tasted before. That's not a testimony unlike anybody else in this room. We've all walked in sin. We all walk in sin. It's only because of Christ that we can stand and, and know that our sins are, are forgiven. But little by little, I allowed sin to creep in. I chose it. I did that. I pursued it. That was not the Lord. That was me. And all the while, I felt in my heart, I was remembering those teachings as a kid. I remember those times of the Lord. But nonetheless, I pursued sin. What's in a man's heart? Nothing but ugly, disgusting, vile Genesis 6-5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So even all the way back in the first book of the Bible, we see that from a man's heart pours nothing but wickedness. Continually. Our need for Jesus, our hope in Jesus. So in my pursuit of sin and in my pursuit of the idols of the world... I guess I was, in a sense, let to roam like a sheep gone astray, exiled. Grew to this place where I was trusting in my own heart, my own desires, looking for and doing what I wanted to feed my own passions. I was rejecting God. I was choosing sin. Very different than abiding, loving Christ, being in Christ, knowing that we're not perfect, knowing that we're going to continue to sin, that there's going to be times that we're going to choose sin, and by his grace and his love, we come back and we repent, and it's there. Very different than abiding and battling sin. We're never free of it. It's always there, but by his grace through Christ, we can be free from it. But I was running to it. And though I'd continue to feel just the sorrow and the pain of that, little by little, the further and further I walked away, the, the harder I allowed my heart to get. That sorrow and that need for repentance and that, that first found love, like we see in the top of this passage, started to fade away. I was trusting in myself. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched place in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Moving forward into the New Testament, Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23 Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Without Christ, this is all we are. This is all we have to hope for. We talk about in core groups all the time. What's your struggles? What are you battling with? That comes from the heart. If we could see our own hearts, we would be repulsed by what's there. 
Jesus says it. It's terrible. It's wicked. This is how we are apart from him. And this is why we abide. This is why we hold fast to Jesus. Why we throw ourselves in reckless pursuit of the cross daily. Because when we're not abiding, I know where I go. I know where my heart's at. I know what I'm capable of. And so do all of you. We're all sinners. So I continue into this, this, this life, graduate from college. In college, I'll back up a little bit. In college, I, I got a job. I started working when I was 16 at a, the Old Navy store in Bend when it opened up. I was born and raised in Bend. And uh, started working there and worked my way up. So by the time that I left for school, they transferred me down to a store in Southern California. Uh, six months into that employment in Southern California, I was going to college, same time, full-time student. Um, they promoted me to a manager at a Gap retail store. That's why Delina lets me take my boys and, and the girls shopping for clothes. <laughs> the Gap, right? Yay, Gap. No. Um, they promoted me to management at the Gap, so I was going to school full-time, working at the Gap full-time as a manager. And the more I pursued that, those paychecks started to roll in. The money, the greed, the lust for the things that come with the money, the opportunity to, to see a, a, a path to, uh, to upper management, to administration, to more money, right? Going to school, trying to finish my studies. I had to make decisions. Do I quit school and just do this job or do I stay in school? And ended up getting really, really sick, just wore myself out. I was working 40, 45 hours a week and going to school full-time and ended up wearing myself out and just working myself into the ground because my heart was chasing that which the world says would fill my needs, would fill my passion. Ended up quitting at the gap and just lamented not having those paychecks. Whew. The cafeteria at school was not nearly as good as the In-N-Out burgers I was living on. But nonetheless, got a job as a janitor at a, uh, a local gym there down the street. And so then what did I do? I work at a gym. I got to start working out, pumping some iron. I didn't get any taller, but I got stronger, right? <laughs> then it was like, oh, man, this looks pretty cool. So then I started living for that, working out. And that became my idol. So easy, I was just going from one to the next, searching for that which would just fill the, the void. Come on the scene to bull riding. That was my next big venture. I was going to ride bulls. My parents never let me when I was growing up. Never let me. Oh, I'm going to do that. Start pursuing rodeo and everything that comes with rodeo. Did that for three or four years. Just one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Because when this cistern would run dry, I'd jump to the next. Or when that one started to crack and fall apart, I was working hard to patch and mold it together in my own strength to keep it there, bringing water in. And I'm going to admit, there were days it was fun, or so I thought. I'd jump in there like our little kids in their blow-up pools in the summer and splash around in it. At the end of the summer, all that's left is mud and muck and mire and and chewing on that for a while. I'd completely lost my first love in Christ. Just like the Israelites. I'd seen the Lord. Walked in his ways. Knew of him. Living water. 
is what I needed. During this time, I graduated from college, moved to Wyoming, got hired by the University of Wyoming right out of school immediately. Had the job interview and was hired in June, graduated in May. Never lived there, found an apartment online, rented it sight unseen, filled my Jeep with all my stuff, drove to Wyoming. See ya, I'm out. Rodeo, that's where Wyoming lives, right? Rodeo's in Wyoming. Got this job at the university. First day on the job, I'm at new employee training. And in walks this girl, woman. We were way younger then. In walks this young woman. She was introduced to me as the gal who had got the, the position that I really wanted. The position in the neighboring county that I really wanted. I'd interviewed for it, didn't get it. They offered me a different one. She would soon become my wife. Went to dinner that night. Found out she used to show dogs. I showed dogs. That was another passion and lust, right? Man, see all these cisterns. She showed dogs. She says she's a Christian. I'm a Christian. Match made in heaven. Went home, called my mom, said, I found the woman I'm going to marry. That was the first night I met her. Three months later, we were engaged. Within eight months, we were married. And by his grace, he continued to mold us and protect us and walk with us, though we weren't seeing it. We weren't pursuing it. We weren't desiring it. Got as far as I could get within the University of Wyoming. That, that well, that cistern was starting to run dry. I wanted a position where I could be tenured. Could do whatever I wanted, never be fired. That sounds like a job. Go to work, don't go to work. It don't matter, here's your paycheck. One opens up in Prineville, Oregon. Sweet. Delina, we're moving. Is this what the Lord wants? Absolutely, this is what the Lord wants. We're going. And amazingly enough, I look back on it now and I see the Lord working in all of that. I see the Lord aligning his plan to the day that would come. Our house where we lived in Wyoming, we bought the only house for sale within a 120-mile space. She worked in one town, I worked another 120 miles apart. So we bought a house that was 63 miles between the two. So I drove 63 miles to work one way, she drove 63 miles to work, or 50-some miles to work the other, 40-some miles to work the other. Every day, we joke because we spent over $1,200 a month in fuel when our house payment was only $275. (laughs) Wyoming, housing market, it's good. Anyway, our house, so we decided we were going to sell the house, and she was going to quit her job, move into Cheyenne. Um, so we wouldn't have to drive. My job, my career, it was going up. It was great, you know, just pursuing the lust of that. Anyway, our house had been on the market for over a year, and this job in Oregon comes open, and an interview, apply for it, whatever. It looks good. It looks like it's going to come together. And the day they called and offered me the job, within 24 hours, our house sold in Wyoming. Why? It doesn't make sense. I know where my heart's at. I know what I'm pursuing. I know why I'm desiring to go. But looking back, the Lord is so faithful to carry us, to not leave us. Though we might be exiled by our own doing, by the consequences of our own sin, he is there. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Saying he took our sin upon himself. He did that. 
and how quickly I abandoned that, that first love. He knows that our hearts are wicked. That's why he came. That's why he lived the life that we couldn't live, that we can't live. Dying on the cross, taking the wrath that we deserve upon himself, feeling the agony of of God turning away and not being able to look at him, covered in the sin on the cross, then proving only that he was the one that could do it through his resurrection, and through that we have life. And yet, like those in the time of Jeremiah, we still persist in building our own cisterns, We still persist in walking in unbelief that God is better. That's the key. It's not so much about sin as it's about believing that God is better. We know we're sinful beings. We know what pours out of our heart is wicked and evil. But do we believe that God is better than all of that? All of the lusts of our own hearts. It's belief. He's better. When we face trials and temptations and and sin battles, choosing sin is saying, you are not better. I'm going to choose this. I feel this is better. I feel this is better. It's never better. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate. The heavens are astounded by our pursuit of idols. I believe even the non-believers of today, those that have never experienced it, tasted, believed on Christ, sometimes look at us and go, those Christians. They profess this and, and walk in this. It's confusing. We know we're never going to be made perfect uh, until that day that we face the Lord, but man, that's what we strive for. For Him, not for perfection, for Him, so that He can make us perfect in the end. And all praise be to Him that He doesn't leave us. That even in those times, those years that I had ran, basically, away from him, that he, in his faithfulness, continued to pursue. Matthew 18, 12 through 14, Jesus talking again says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over the sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. By a love that we cannot understand, he is faithful to pursue, to come after us. A love that makes no sense to us in our flesh and our unbelief, but God. So we move out to Oregon, pursuing this job, living for ourselves, major pay raise, 
briefly started going to a church here in town right when we first moved here. My heart wasn't there. Led my wife out of it. I was so caught up in what I wanted, what I was pursuing, the lust of my own heart. We need to have this. I've got this job. Now we need to look like this. So we go and we buy this big house out on some acreage, a little bit of acreage out here up Mackay. And now we've got to have horses. And, and now we've got to have children, right? That's American dream. Children, horses, ranchette, close to town. All right, I'll admit, I went so far as to buy a golden retriever. <laughs> I was pursuing everything but him. And all I had left to show at the end was broken cisterns. And then after a couple of years, as Rory started to talk about, he started to change my heart. He started to call me home. I had fallen. I had chosen. And thus fallen into all of those sins that Jesus talks about that comes from a man's heart. I started to feel sorrow again. I started to feel the need for repentance. What is this? I haven't felt this in a long time. He was dealing with me. He came after me. I was a sheep that had gone astray, and by his promises, he came after me. He loves me, and he loves you. He is life. Jeremiah three twelve through 14 Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree. You have not obeyed my voice. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, run from a city, and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. That's what he started to do in me. I couldn't do that. I couldn't seek him. I couldn't desire that. That's a work he does in us. That's a work he does in, in, in our hearts. He begins to, to come after us, to call us to himself, like the Bible says. And many times, I, I've experienced, I'm sure many of you have, the thought that I just sinned so bad. There was no hope left. So what do I do when there's no hope left? Oh man, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to pursue the things of the world even more. If there's no hope, then let's go out in a flame of not glory, right? How can we as sinners, wretched from the inside out, walk in his ways? How can we do that? Through his salvation. Through a renewed heart. A new heart guided by the very spirit of the living God. Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother. Say, know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. When we turn to him, when we, when we realize our sin before a holy God and our absolute need for Christ, 
What does he do? He comes in and he takes out our old heart. He puts a heart of his own, a heart then that we can hear and see and believe him. He speaks directly to us. He's living in us. That's how we can walk in his ways. Are we free of sin? No. We're going to sin. We are sinners. But by his grace, he's forgiven our iniquity. And his sin, and our sin, he will remember no more. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things have become new. A new heart. Jeremiah the weeping prophet. <laughs> How about a weeping sinner, anybody? Yep. A new heart. New passions, his desires above our own. That's what he promises and that's what he does. How? Because he's God. This is what he does. This is what he designed us for. To live in such a way and in such a place that we need him daily, that we desire him, that we exalt him above ourself. I'm not perfect. I am not without sin. But I have a heart now that loves Jesus and believes in Jesus. A couple years ago, I was granted tenure in that position with OSU, living it up, living the dream. And during this time, the Lord started to pull me back, to, to bring me back to that place of repentance and sorrow. And this is the time that we'd started going to this church. <laughs> Rory and I playing in the McDonald's play area and walking in core groups and through all of this, books and sermons and passages, the Lord started to come alive in me again. I could feel him. I knew what it felt like to have sorrow for my sin, but it meant some really difficult things. It meant some heartfelt repentance. Not only I get sin against the holy God, we see that in David, against you and you alone have I sinned. But it meant that I needed to come out and if I was going to lead my family, I needed, I needed to come out. I needed to confess that I was not walking, that I was pursuing myself and my own desires above my wife, above my children, above my golden retriever. <laughs> I remember wrestling with the Lord one day. I knew that nobody was at home, so I went home from work about noon. I was tenured, right? You could do that. And, and I remember wrestling with the spirit of the living God on the living room floor of my house to the point that when I was done and the Lord has just released me, the carpet was wet from tears. I had never felt so alive. And regardless of what lie ahead, I knew it was going to be a hard, long road. Regardless of what lie ahead, I knew I had right standing with him. And it didn't matter. Nothing else in that moment mattered. Not my wife, not my kids, not my job. Nothing mattered more than feeling that love of Christ and having a love for Christ that would endure until the end. 
So now I place all of my love in Jesus, by Jesus, and through Jesus. I'll walk with you with the full assurance of my faith, knowing that I'm going to be sanctified until the day when he chooses to call me home. As a worship team, if you guys want to come up, I'll close with this last passage in Hebrews 10, 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veal that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with pure water. There's no amount of good that we can do. There's no amount of obedience that we can strive for. We are saved by faith and faith alone. And we can walk boldly in our salvation because of what he did on that cross for you and for me. So as I was going through these passages in the last couple of days and fasting and honestly not really knowing where I was going to go this this morning I just felt an overwhelming sense that we as a people of God need to see our cisterns and cease in building them cease in repairing them all of us saved unsaved I don't know where you're at with the Lord this morning. We all have cisterns. I still have them. We need to return to our first love. Just like Jeremiah was urging the people to do. And it may be hard. You maybe are going to have to walk through some really hard times. But with him, it's better than continuing in the cisterns, playing in the mud of your own creation. A lot of people in the church that I hang out with probably grow tired of my unceasing desire um, to talk about abiding and the need to abide. I know where I can go when I'm not abiding. I know where I can go even when I'm abiding. I know my heart is wicked. I know I am nothing on my own. I still battle with cisterns. Maybe you've never experienced Christ, but would realize today the spirit of the living God calling your heart to his. Maybe today you would feel that inside of you. He does the calling. He does the work. And you know if he's calling, you can feel it right now. Maybe you're walking in a season of having gone astray. And by his grace, by his calling, you're desiring to be found. Maybe you are abiding, but are falling prey (laughs) to the temptations of your heart that are wicked. Maybe you're abiding, 
but just desire to feel that first love feeling again. Or you know what, maybe you're just in a really good place and praise Jesus for that and you would just desire to just stand and worship in awe of what he has done for you, knowing where you've been, knowing what you look like before him, throwing yourself at the foot of the cross in a place of worship and thankfulness. The truth is everyone in here, regardless of where we stand, we all need more belief. We all need more of him. A belief that is better than anything that our own hearts would lust after. So as we sing this last song, be moved by what the Spirit would be speaking to your own heart. Maybe these words were for you today. I know they were for me this week. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Feel that love that he has for you in your heart. What are those battles that you're battling? What are those battles that you've continued to battle? How do you overcome those? I don't know. But I know walking with Christ in those battles is way better than walking in those battles without him. So maybe you just want to sit and dwell on whatever he's speaking to. Maybe you want to stand and sing. Maybe you just run here to the altar, to the foot of the cross and plead with him, plead for him, say thanks. I've spent many a Sunday mornings up here. There's nothing special about being here in your seat. What matters is that you respond to that work that he's doing in your heart. Dear Jesus, we love you and we need more of you. We confess, Father, our need for you. Whether we know you or whether we're walking in unbelief, there is no doubt what you have done for us. The Bible clearly says it. So, Lord, I would just ask that in these last couple moments before we walk out of these doors today that you would move on every heart that's here in a way that puts you on your throne in a way that gives us the desires to break these cisterns that we've created give us the desire to get out of our own kid pool Give us the desire to run to your living water, to throw ourselves at the foot of the cross. We know what's inside of us, Lord. We know our hearts are wicked. Whether we want to admit that or not, we know in our hearts, Jesus, we know. Please do not let, in your all-knowing, in your all-sovereignty, Lord, please do not anybody walk out of here today without feeling you. <clears throat> Maybe you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you've never just responded to that, to that call, his call on your heart to knit your heart to his, to replace your heart with one of his own. And I'm going to ask you to say a prayer, raise your hand, or there's times for that, but... This morning, maybe you would just sit there and just accept that in your heart. 
Maybe come up here and pray with somebody. I don't know. I, I didn't think we are going to do an altar call. Maybe the elders. I don't know. We'll just be available to, to pray. And maybe you don't know what that looks like or how that is, but you would just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, we need you today. Lord, please do the work in our hearts. We sing this last song. Come forward if you want. Stay in your seat. Stand, worship, whatever. Do not quench the spirit. Do not walk out of here knowing that the Lord is saying something in your heart right now.